What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast. And today, we have a really special guest in the building. Listen, this lady is a rapper, a singer, a producer, director, a songwriter, and so much more. She has out a new single right now called Number One, produced by herself and Baseline. You know we have in the building today? We have the Black Lotus in the building today. What's going on, my sister? Chilling. How are you doing? <laughs> Thanks for having Hi. me here today. Thank Virtual. you so much. Thank you so much for coming through. Anytime, anytime. All right. How is things there? How is things going on your side of town right now? Things are good. It's hot, but mm-hmm. things are really good. It's been busy. I've been um, definitely discovering more about myself every every day. As you listed all the the things that you know that I do. My dad calls me a hairman. He says I do everything. He's like, you're a hairman. You do everything. You do too much. I'm like, yeah. So every day, you know, discovering something new. But yeah. yeah, it's been good. <laughs> good. All right. On this program here, we like to take it right from the beginning and then bring us right up to 2021. So my first oh, wow. question for you is this: Where did you grow up, and what attracted you to music in the first place? I grew up in Toronto, but more specifically, I grew up in the Rex. So Mm -hmm. anybody from Toronto who knows the West End. (laughs) Um, But music is has always been a part of my life. Like my mom was a super like music fanatic when it came to like the R&B world. And my dad, um, my dad is a reggae musician. So he was always playing music around the house and like having he had a band who would it was called United Groove Band and they would back up for like Barris Hammond and just anybody who came to Canada, uh, Buju, Beanie Man, anybody who came to Canada, his band was backing him. So we would have rehearsal at our house every Wednesday. And that's where my love for music began, just hearing like the music through the walls Mm -hmm. every Wednesday night and just kind of hearing him play and being able to meet people like Lady Saw and Frankie Paul and just all these people would come by the house. Like it was bound to happen. That's kind of how it happened you know one of his five daughters was going to be the one to get the music book so one of the miller daughters yes <laughs> one of us so yeah, yeah just kind of you know didn't fall and what far. was did you really realize who all these people were at this time when you were meeting them or this was something you discovered later on in life it was something i discovered later on like we would just hear people coming and just making music in the basement and just be like, whoa, who's that? You know, just hearing different, some people would come and you're like, no, I don't want to hear this. But then there's majority of the people would come and it would just be like amazing music, you know? So uh, I don't know. It, I think at that age, I didn't, I didn't really understand, but I knew that they were special because of just the energy, like it's just the energy that came from that space. You could just tell that, you know, my dad wasn't playing around. <laughs> he wasn't at all. I I hear you. And when did you actually discover your voice or what was the first thing you discovered about yourself artistically? Um, I wanted to be a rapper. Okay. And that was the first, like, I didn't sing. I, I refused to sing in front of people for a very long time, but I was always rapping. And it was just like, my older sister would always play like, Biggie Smalls and Tupac and Bone Thugs and Harmony. And I was too young rapping these lyrics. My mom's like, no, no. So it was kind of like, I don't know. That's that was, that's where it began. I really wanted to like be a rapper and I started playing piano. And it was just kind of just dabbling in music and just digging with my dad's equipment all the time, like his DJ equipment. And just so I've always had the music bug. It just started at a very young age. 
All right. So you started out as a rapper first. So what was the first? Did you actually? (laughs) In my mind, nobody else's. (laughs) I hear you a hundred percent. So what was your first thing to get into the music industry? Because you said your mom, she she was a collector and she liked R&B. Your dad was playing a lot of reggae and stuff. So what was your first entrance into the music business itself? into the music business um i had actually met like it was a supply teacher and he was an act he was doing like acting work and things like that and he um i don't know one time i was just in class and he discovered that i was like writing music in a book and he was like do you sing and i'm like yeah so he brought me to my first uh vocal coach abraham faulkner in toronto and Mm -hmm. from there it was just okay let's figure out what you're doing with your voice and then yeah, I just I started just doing shows around the city, like little things like the CNE, like uh, uh, you know they have the exhibition where they have young talent come in and do things like that. So that was like the first beginning of me actually not being afraid to perform. And at that time, I was probably like twelve or eleven years old around that age. Wow, that was early. Yeah. So how come you didn't decide to? pursue rap at the beginning instead of singing because as you said you didn't really like to sing in front of people um i think it was because of i think because of the age that i was and the lyrical content that i was memorizing as a rapper (laughs) that kind of deterred my parents from like me being a rapper and i i guess r&b at the time was just more suitable there were artists like brandy and monica and like swv and people who were singing like r&b and love songs and i guess that's just really what it was it wasn't that they didn't want me to be a rapper, but they knew that I could sing, you know? And um, on my mom's side of the family, we have a lot of vocalists and a lot of singers from Nova Scotia where my mother grew up. And I think it was just that, you know, coming from that world and the church that they were just like, you gonna sing. (laughs) That's what happened. (laughs) That's what happened here, wow. Okay, and what was your actually first recording that you went into the studio to record? Oh, wow. Oh, my first recording, geez. Mm-hmm. Digging the back of the brain. I think it was here. It was actually in LA. And I was working with um, a writer by the name of Ty V. And she had cut this song called Could Have Fooled Me. And I actually demoed the record for 702 at the time. I don't know if they, I don't think they ended up using the record, but that was the first time I really got a chance to hear myself on, on record. Yeah. How did you like how you how did you like how you sounded at that time there? It was cool because it was the first time that I had actually sang a song that I actually recorded that somebody actually wrote for my voice. Mm -hmm. And that experience the first time was pretty cool. And I couldn't really believe it was me. It was weird. You know, I think, you know, when you're a kid and you're young and you hear yourself in a recording, it's like, why do I sound like that? (laughs) But for me to hear myself singing and then for her to like vocal produce with me, it was just, from then I was like, I can do this. Like mm-hmm. I can do this. So, yeah. Got you. All right. Let me bring you back a flashback. I got a couple of flashbacks. In oh, here. <laughs> the first one I'm going to give you, I know you also, you were in a group with, yeah. it was you, Melanie, Fiona, and um, I forget who the third person was. Nicole Holness. Mm-hmm. Yes. How did Nicole. that come around? Um, was the same at the time my manager had um had heard that they were looking to put together a girls group and at the time exquisite was melanie fiona and maybe two other girls or something but they hadn't actually really recorded anything and the other two girls i think had left the group 
And so it was just Melanie at the time. And I went to audition. And it was funny because when we met each other, it was automatic. It was like, hey, girl, <laughs> it was like automatic. And till this day, like, we're still super cool. Like, I spoke to her a couple of days ago and, mm-hmm. you know, she's one of my closest friends. And I don't know, I feel like that experience just being in a girl's group, I needed because we grew together as vocalists and as, you know, as artists and understanding the industry from a business standpoint and just from a sonic standpoint, what we wanted to sing, what we didn't want to sing um, as well. So, yeah, Exquisite was an interesting experience. <laughs> to say how, long, how long did the group last for? Um, the group actually was together for a couple of years before we had actually put anything out. So we'd started pretty early. And when we released No Regrets, uh, we had actually, I think, shot another video after that. But we kind of had our, uh, I guess, differences when it came to the business aspect of the group and also some of the lyrical content of the songs around the album. As well, we were working on it. Um, I was writing a lot of the album with uh, one of the producers, Marcus Kane, who did most of the project. And there was just some creative differences, but I feel like that was the first time at that age and with Melanie and Nicole that we had to like make a decision for ourselves as artists. Like, where do we see ourselves? What do we want to leave as our legacy? And we just thought otherwise, you know? So it was still good. It's still all love between all of us. It was really just a difference in creative, you know, decisions. And that's that's okay because remember, as an artist, you have so many things that you want to express sometimes. And if you're in a group with other people, they might not want to express the same yeah. thing or have the same vision. So it's okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was we had very different, very different views on the music, but the album came out, and um, my voice is still all over it. Melanie's voice was still all over it, but neither one of us were on the cover. <laughs> it's cool. Like all love to Nicole. Like you know what I mean. She held it down mm-hmm. as the album came out, and mm-hmm. you know things like that. So it's still, it was still. I feel like a, it was a journey, part of the journey that had to happen. Got you. That's exquisite there. All right. So let me go back down memory lane again. How did you meet Drake? Oh, wow. Um, I met Drake at this, uh, I guess it was a restaurant slash lounge. And he was doing, it was like every Thursday night, him, Melanie Fiona, and a keyboard player named Dalton D10, who I think still plays for Drake. They were doing this like Thursday night, uh, I know Melanie was singing and I think Aubrey at the time was hosting and um, I went there to see Melanie perform and that was the first time I had met him. He was like, I knew you, you're Andrew Mill," And I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> I didn't know him. I just wanted to see you. Like, that's just how my mind has always been, you know? And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he was super cool. And then we ended up getting, we, actually we ended up in the studio because I knew 40, I've known 40 for a long time since like high school. And he was working mm-hmm. with some people I was working with. And funny enough, he was working with 40 and I was working with socks and we were kind of just bumped into each other at the studio. I'm like, Oh, it's that guy again. And then I heard him rap and I was like, who is this dude? <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> and like from there I was just, it was hilarious. Cause he always knew he's had this spark with, I had no idea until I heard him that day. And then we just clicked and just started working on music together. You know, like he's he's written for me, like on my first project, like I've written with him and 
things like that. And um, yeah, he's super talented, super talented guy, <laughs> as we know. <laughs> because you have two classic songs on his classic mixtape, The Comeback Season. Yeah. And even what makes one of the songs more classic, it's you, Drake, and Cardinal Official, yes. all on one track. How did that come together? Oh man, um, Last Hope, Funny enough, Last Hope, we had kind of like done in the studio just in passing, but it wasn't really, like, he had the beat playing for a while and I was sitting there and I'm like, I can't really feel anything to this. Not that I didn't feel the beat. It was just, I'm very much of a person, like I have to be in the moment to catch what it needs to be, you know? And we kind of sketched out a melody idea and like a bit of words, but it didn't really come together. And then um, we had already we had already recorded Closer to My Dreams but it was a rough version of it. So one night he calls me, it's like four o'clock in the morning and he's like, can you get down to the studio? And I'm like, guy, I don't want to go there. And something just told me, get out of bed. And I took a cab from Scarborough to downtown or to Dufferin and King. And we re-recorded Closer to My Dreams. But when I got there, Rich Kid was there, Cardinal Fisher was there. And I was there with my three month old daughter. It's four o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. And like, she's grumpy. And then he's like, yo, this is the idea. And I feel like the energy of just where I was, last hope, just like, and I, then I heard, I heard Cardi's verse. I heard his verse. And I'm like, let me do this. Went in the booth, did last hope. And I feel like that energy that at that moment, like, we knew that something was changing in the city. The air was different. There was something different about the city. And to have Cardi as like, you know, definitely one of the pioneers to really like speed ahead, like lead the way. It was, yeah, it was definitely a blessing at that point, you know, so. No, because those are classics right here. Cause imagine you're having Cardinal official, yes. Drake and you all on one track, especially at that time there. Yes, it was, it was such a, it was, it was a pivotal moment, you know, and Rich Kid, like his beats I've always loved. They, they are always they're very cinematic to me. Like you can mm -hmm. see, and you could see the emotion when you hear his music. So it, it, it just was great, you know, it was great vibes. And I feel like, you know, Drake knows how to put together a record. He knows who belongs where. And yeah, definitely, definitely plays his part. Amazing. Definitely salute the boy on that one yeah. there. You know I mean? <laughs> sure. All right. This is another one. This was another massive point in your career here too, was meeting DMX. Tell me how you <laughs> met DMX and put on and did three songs with X. Well, this is the crazy part. We've never met in person. We've only talked on the phone numerous times and that's the crazy part. So the whole situation with the last hope, like it was my dad called me downstairs one day. It was like, Andrina, DMX has a song on BT. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what? And that's, I, I had no idea. Rich Kid knew about this. Mm -hmm. And apparently DMX had no idea that Drake was the originator of this song. Um, Snaz, who had I was working with at the time, he produced a lot of my first project and we worked a lot together, had sent it to Dame Grease, who's like, you know, DMX's brother, you could say. And um, X heard it and was just like, yo, I wanna jump on this. So when that happened, um, X called me because I wasn't aware of it and Drake wasn't aware of it. Mm -hmm. So at the time I was working a job and DMX calls me at work and I was like, who's this? And it's X. I'm like, wait a minute, this is not like I'm thinking somebody's playing a joke on me. 
And then he said, no, Vino's ex. And I was like, wait a minute, this is him? I'm going to get fired because I'm there on the phone. I'm trying not to like, mm-hmm. yeah. So he um, literally was just like, is it okay? You know, I, I didn't mean to like overstep my boundaries. And I'm like, no, just, you're mad. So what are we talking about here? You know, and from there, he was like, I really want to create more with you. And I was like, most definitely. So um, at that point, Snaz and I and Dan Grease got together and we created uh, Cold World and No Love. Those were the other two records that ended up being on the Undisputed album. And during the whole process, he was very like hands-on. So I would send something and he's like, yeah, that's it. He just wanted me to be me and just whatever. He's like, just do whatever you do best. And he was so kind and was so in like, when it came down to me being like, okay, I'm gonna go and work on this record. He's like, okay, I'm gonna pray about it. And for me, that is when a person is very spiritually attached to their music, there's just something different about what comes out of it. And that's how he was when it came to the music. So, you know, RIP X, man, it's just, you know, a lot, a lot of history with him. And a lot of people don't know he was very, very kind soul. And for me to be an artist that he had no idea who I was and to come to me and say like, is it okay that I use your work and your like not many people do that so you know salute to x as well most definitely no that that's classic <laughs> right here and just the way how you remember it is just so amazing to where i felt like i was at work with you when you got yeah. <laughs> my homegirl was like are you lying i'm like no i'm serious you just called me like who does that <laughs> so yeah <laughs> crazy um another one here let's go let's go super left then you did the hip-hop stuff how did you get in contact with a Jimmy Jam and a Terry Lewis? Because that's next level altogether. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. So um, the track masters, the original track masters, Poke, Tone, Alex, Richburg, and Frankie. Uh, Frankie is actually my video production partner. And a few, a couple of years ago, he said to me, he was like, you know, he reminded me of, he was like, you know, you should try to do some Janet stuff. Cause we were always talking about just like different, you know, our influences in music. Cause he's really like my mentor. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, so he was like, let's try and flip. That's the way love goes. And I was like, okay, me not putting two and two together of like the history between, you know, everybody. So I do this. That's the way love goes cover because I love Janet Jackson and we just put it out We put it out for fun. And then a couple weeks later, I get a call from Terry being like, like, hold on, who's this? Terry Lewis, like what? He calls me because Alex Richburg is a good friend of his and they were working on the Johnny Gill project. And he was like, I love what you did with the Janet record. Like you want to come in and work with Johnny Gill. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and we ended up like literally like a month later, I ended up going to his studio and sitting down with them. And, you know, you see the massive Michael Jackson plaques on the wall. And I'm like, I remember watching these guys in the video with Janet as like an itty bitty kid. And now he's sitting in front of the computer and I'm in the booth and I'm singing these vocals for this record called Hard with Johnny Gill that came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty epic. <laughs> that was pretty epic. It's crazy how your life just seems to go. And it seems to happen in the most random times. Like, okay, I'm just doing something chill. Always random. It's in in a way it's not random because I don't believe in like randomness. I believe it's like divine timing because when it came like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, like I'm 
when I was recording, like in my basement, working on my projects, I've always had this, this uh, was the album cover for Control. My mother had it in a frame and I always had it above my computers. And it's like, to think back to that day where I'm now I'm looking at this control album once again, but this time I'm in the booze and it's, it's just, you know, it's not a coincidence in my mind. It's just, you know, it's just divine timing it was something that I've, you know, subconsciously manifested working with them and it happened and it was crazy. <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, yeah. I know you describe yourself as a love child between Aaliyah yeah. and Andre 3000. <laughs> they were my obsessions and they still are. They literally what? are. What features of your father would you have? Mm -hmm. What features of your mother would you have? I would say from Andre 3000, definitely um, when I approach the, the music, when I approach the musicality of when I'm producing, he's very left. He likes to take risks. And I feel like I've always done that, but mm -hmm. I've never really put it to the forefront. But now definitely I'm like working on these projects. I'm very much taking the lead in the sense of like, I like this quirky sound, let's play with this more. And I like trying to, you know, do interpolations of songs and sounds and eras that you wouldn't necessarily apply to R&B music or the type of music that I do. When it comes to Aaliyah, I feel like she was just so confident in herself and who she was and, you know, as as a black female, not feeling like, okay, I have to do this and I have to be like this. She was just her. And those are the inspirations that I would say it wouldn't necessarily be of like, okay. I mean, of course I've, I'm inspired by her music, but it was more of like the first time I saw her, I was like, she's so confident with just being her. And it took me a while to find that in myself, but yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I feel like it took me a while to get there. And funny enough, we share the same name. My middle name is Aaliyah. And it's like, it's just, I felt like just watching her journey, you know, it was just, you know, definitely a huge inspiration for who I am today. Yeah. Rest in peace, Aaliyah. Oh my gosh, 20 years as of yesterday. Wow. 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 And like, yeah. you know, time flies. Wow. Trust me, it does. Trust wow. me, it does. You talked about production. I know that you were involved with um, the introduction for Future Summer 16 tour. Mm -hmm. All right. How did that come around? So I did, um, I was doing a bunch of hip hop covers on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up doing Future Turn, turn On the Lights or Turn Off the Lights. I'm trying, my brain is off today. Mm -hmm. And I did Honest by Future. Name another nigga hot, I'm just honest. Gold bottles on bottles, I'm just honest. Hundred thousand on watches, I'm just honest. Coops all on coops, I'm just honest. Tell the truth. And when I did Honest, his uh, right hand man, uh, his name is Shooter. He pretty much just like documents his whole life, and he's pretty much like his one of his best friends. He contacted me about the cover honest and i was like uh i was like okay what's up and he was wanted me to actually perform honest uh with future for i think it was like an nba game or something like that but i had just gotten back to canada and i was like just kind of settling with my family so i couldn't necessarily leave and then this was in 2015 so we kept in contact and i had started doing a bunch of just like piano tidbits around ideas that future had been playing within the studio so while he was working on um, his documentary and certain things for Instagram posts, I would just send these piano 
just kind of like ambient music with my vocals and like, you know, playing with Future's vocals here and there. And I was really just like doing it for fun. You know, I, I love Future. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm not even looking for anyone to even say that's her. Like I didn't care. But then when it came down to the summer 16 tour, they were like, Hey, do you have anything that's close to what we've been doing? And I was like, well, I can create something. And I had actually went to one of future shows. He came to Toronto and I mentioned to shoot. I'm like, I really want to create something for an intro. So I ended up using, you know, a bit of from my DJ background, using a bit of his clips and a bit of mine, uh, the things that we had been working on and created this intro that he had used for his summer 16 tour. So that was pretty cool too. <laughs> that was pretty cool. It and that was random, once again. <laughs> not random, but random. <laughs> <laughs> Your life just seems to be, again, as you said, you manifested, even if it yeah. wasn't, you looked at the poster every day or you made, it was just, you put yourself in a position to win. And when the opportunity came up, you continued winning. Yeah, I was being prepared for the opportunity when it came to me, because I never thought that it was going to be a case of me ever working with Future. It was just, you know, I loved his music and I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to just, sorry, my dog is snoring. Um, I wanted to, uh, you know, just give my interpolation of what hip hop was to me, because I've always loved hip hop and I've always loved rap music, but to kind of create that from an R&B perspective on the piano was really what all I wanted to do. And uh, somebody saw it and that was important. I remember those days. I remember seeing those come up a lot on YouTube. And sometimes I think probably Instagram was around those yeah. times. You see a lot of times. And how I remember you singing Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe. That yeah, was that one was of the big ones I remember. <laughs> that was cool too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm definitely gonna be doing more of these. I just I had to take a break and you know, I've been doing a lot of other things, mm -hmm. other uh, entrepreneurial things. <laughs> definitely getting back to the music. All right, no problem. I know 2013 was your, I think that was your last real full body of work, Naked. Yeah. All right. How have you grown from that album to today? Ah, wow. Naked was, I think, hmm, I think it was like my ode to love from that perspective of like loving other people. I feel like after I put out that body of work, and um, I, shortly after that, I had my son. And I feel like once once that happened, it, my perspective really changed. Not to say that I didn't agree with my project anymore, but it came really back down to the point of like me looking at myself in a different way, you know? Um, and I think the music now is from the position of really like loving myself, loving my family, loving uh, the things around me and the people around me and just life. You know, Naked was more of uh, a reflection of a period of time in my life when I was in a situation or in a relationship that was like very almost detrimental to my mental health, to my physical health, to a lot of things. And when the relationship was over, I just had so much baggage that I needed to get rid of. So like 24 songs later, that's, that was naked. And I feel like it was so important because there were so many women that when the project came out that heard it, that were able to relate to it. Like I've been through this, I've been dealing with this and this album got me through this. So I feel like it needed to happen, but it was also like a big eye opener for me of like, you went through all of this and came through all of this. Now, what do you do? So this is where I'm at right now when it comes to the new music. Um, yeah, I mean, after that, I released The Reverse, which was the beginning of me just kind of trying to put my production on display. 
Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I had actually taken the time to put together a solely produced project. And that was straight to SoundCloud. Like it wasn't anything else. It wasn't Spotify or anything like that. But yeah. How did you do on SoundCloud for you at that time? It went pretty well. I mean, I didn't expect it to really do anything. When I put anything on SoundCloud, usually it's more of just like for the people who are the fans, just listening to the music. I love to do projects like that. There's another one coming in like two weeks uh, that <laughs> that is going to be um, that I'm really excited about. But um, but for me, when it comes down to projects like that, it's really just for people to kind of just engage in what I'm feeling and can you relate to this? Do you feel this? It just you know just messing around with music it's just you know in my mind it's just a vibe so yeah definitely because i know right now you're in la you were in toronto and all this stuff you moved to la why did yeah. you move to la after you worked with you did you worked with drakes you worked with cardinal you worked with big socks work with lisa oh. money you won stylist awards you done all of these stuff so did you feel at one point that you probably hit a ceiling in toronto and you had to go somewhere else I feel like it's definitely, I mean, Toronto is growing. Toronto has so much amazing talent, but I also feel like, you know, I needed to be outside of the world of Toronto for a minute and also wanted to really expand on what I was, you know, building. So in 20, in 2016, my best friend and I, uh, we had created Black Lotus Media Group, which is the company that I run everything through now. And it's, you know, we do photography, we do videography, we do create music and things like that. So I just felt that like, okay, she's working on the East Coast, I'm working on the West Coast, let's just create this, you know, conglomerate. And I felt like being here would allow me to expand and grow. And it has, you know, being able to work with many people out here and, um, you know, just contact with different producers, other songwriters, stylists, makeup artists, uh, just everything I needed to grow. And I feel like LA was the place for that. I've been coming back and forth here for so many years, but I felt like I needed to stay, you know? And Toronto does have a lot of work to do when it comes to uh, just the foundation of the industry. I think there's so much talent and there's so many great people with great ideas and great movements, but there is a certain level of, you know, like a solid foundation that Toronto needs in order to really show the world, like, this is what we have to offer. You know, it's getting there. It's definitely getting there. It's the the infrastructure. Definitely, because yes. clearly we have some of the biggest artists oh. in the world. It's been running the world for a hot minute. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> so many amazing talent coming out of Toronto and... It's just great to see, you know, I've, I've, I've been around from the beginning to see like the rise of like Julie Black and Socrates and Cardinal and Shaclair and Red One and the Rascals and just like all of these names and, you know, Maestro and to see that and then to see the emergence of Party Next Door and Drake and Bieber and just Division and all of these, you know, amazing Savannah Ray. There's just so many great talents coming out of the city and, you know, in a short span of time too, <laughs> really Really LA now, Toronto. What would you say culturally is the biggest difference between LA and Toronto? The food. <laughs> the food. I oh, knew without God. a doubt you were going to say that. I need you to expand oh, on this. <laughs> Toronto, I apologize. I took advantage of your delicious food. Uh, Eglinton West and, and in Scarborough and all these other places. I apologize because when I try to go get the best like jerk chicken and roti and I just can't find it. But LA has amazing food, but West Indian food. Whew, yeah. 
No That's the biggest thing. So you can't go down the road to a Randy's and go find a patty in those. No, hands. I haven't had roti in years. I'm like, oh my gosh, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the jerk chicken. Like, I'm just, I'm such a, like, I'm a skeptical person. The funny thing is, I have a good friend who lives out here and mm-hmm. she's a former Toronto native. And I will go to her house and she'll throw down in the kitchen. So it's like home cooked food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I think the food is the one major cultural difference. And then there is, you know, it's not, there's not, I mean, there is a West Indian culture here, but it's, and it's, but it's not as prominent as Toronto. I feel like just Canada on a whole, we have a certain pride when it comes to the international, you know, the, the people are just so diverse. There's a certain love that comes along with being from Toronto and knowing what like real Asian food tastes like and real Middle, Middle Eastern food is and real Caribbean food and African food. It just, there's a pride to it when you know, like, no, that's the good stuff, you know? So. You yeah. get it. You get it. Okay. So <laughs> since you brought up food and stuff like that, I'm going to ask you this. Think about this. Okay. If you're going to, one of your American friends, you're going to fix him a drink. You had a bottle of white rum of Ray and Nephew. Okay. Ooh. All right. <laughs> okay. You, had, you had Ting. You had Coke. You had um, cranberry juice. Ooh. On the rocks and orange juice. What would you fix them to drink and introduce them to your culture? It would probably be the rum and the ting, but I would probably have to add some ginger beer to it. Mm-hmm. I think I would add some ginger beer to it. And then I, it might just be that because I'm not too much of a sugar sweetness person when it comes to drinks. But Or it would just be some straight shots of some Ray and Nephew. <laughs> it might just be the straight shots. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you'd introduce them to your culture, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. I know that originally you went by your, your first name, Andrina Mill. Okay. Yeah. When and why did you change it to Black Lotus? The Black Lotus, I changed. So I've always, like, you know, like my my sisters and my homegirls, we'd always kind of joke around. I'd call myself Black Black or Black Lotus, but it was kind of always like my moniker as a producer. Like, if I'm producing in the studio, just like hanging out with my family, they'd always know me as like the Black Lotus. But I've never really spoke about it because I don't think anyone really took me serious as a producer. It was always, she's a songwriter, she's a singer. But when I decided that I was going to move to LA and kind of start, not start over, but start a new path, I decided that I really wanted to allow the Black Lotus to be in the forefront. Because I think for such a long time, doing production and producing on pretty much all of my singles, maybe except for two, um, I didn't really allow people to understand that it was really a massive part of me that I felt I was kind of hindering. So that's why I did the name change. And I feel like also with Andrina Mill, um, there was a lot of history tied to, there is a lot of history tied to my name but I didn't want it to define who I was and who I am now because I'm not the same person that I was when I started in this industry at 11 years old, you know? And now that I'm older and I've changed and I'm like, you know, a a mother and a wife and just, you know, there's so many things about me that is different. I needed to say, hey, this is a part of me you haven't seen yet and I need to showcase that before I bow out at any point in time, you know? So, yeah. 
makes sense. You spoke about being a mother, a wife, a daughter, and stuff like that. I know your daughter right now is entering the music business. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> but I know you guys, you guys have you guys have a song, or is it a snippet? I seen a snippet on Instagram together where she's playing the guitar. Tell yes. us about that there. What's going on there? So my daughter Rain is an amazing guitar player. She's like, it's funny because when she was younger, um, I used to put on like really like old jazz music and old classical music to get her to fall asleep and like old 60s soul. And now that's all she listens to. <laughs> it's like she doesn't listen to like trap music really. She's very into like, she likes to listen to like, French music from the 40s. She's very diverse in what she chooses to listen to. So she plays a ukulele and she plays a guitar. And my dad was the one who kind of got her into the guitar. She didn't want to play the piano. So um, we got her a ukulele. And now, you know, she's been learning and is self-teaching. And um, yeah, we just started just singing together. Like it's kind of just always been a thing around our house, just her playing the ukulele. And I would sing like these stupid songs. And then <laughs> one day um, I was like, let's sit down and work on something. And she was like, okay. So she started playing this like guitar loop and uh, I was like, okay. And I started chopping it up. And then I was like, what do you think we should write about? And she's like, you know what? And she's very into like reptiles and things like that. She was like, write a song about parasite. I'm going to go play outside. And I was like, okay. And she went outside. I wrote this song in like 30 minutes and she came back and was like, what? And we finished the song. Um, Jonathan Watts is on the production on this one. And this will be on the album, The Seed. So I'm really excited about that. She's working on this project with me. <laughs> it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's been bound to happen. She was on the cover of my first mixtape. So she's going to be on the cover of this album. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're working a lot together. You know, she definitely wants to play guitar. I don't know how she feels about this industry, um, but as a musician and loving music, I think this is her outlet at the moment where she can just, you know, find things about herself that she's never really seen before and realize that she could actually really play. So it was interesting to show her the video of us playing together and people, you know, their responses to it. She was like shocked, genuinely shocked. And I'm like, come on, girl. <laughs> Isn't that new? <laughs> we but, does this. We've been doing yes, this. Like hello. <laughs> so, but I get it. You know, I definitely kids that you know at that age, she's thirteen, and like mm -hmm. just to to see, you know, just a difference in her playing now opposed to prior to that video. Well, it's good. And what's so crazy is basically she's getting interested in the music at the same age that you were, but yeah. now you've been in it. So then now yeah. if she wanted to go 100%, you could guide her in the business because you know the business Absolutely. from jump. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think she's also very interested in like the artists that I'm that I'm working with as well, who are, you know, like younger artists that I've been mentoring and things like that who are around her age. And it's good because they can grow and learn together. And I think it's really important, especially for young, you know, young ladies when they're coming up in the industry to have positive influences around them in the studio and, you know, just understanding this industry and, you know, their creativity and what they're worth, you know. So it's good. Definitely. Definitely. And that brings us right up to your brand new release that we've heard all over 97, <laughs> hot 97, all over the radio, all over Spotify, everywhere. This one is called number one. Well, Let me what? give you my take on it here. Okay. okay. <laughs> it has a real 
soca Afrobeats, R&B type of feel all together. If you put it in one, that's what yeah. it is. And then you're just floating inside of yeah. the beat right there. You know what I mean? That's yeah. my take on there. And yeah. you collaborated with somebody that you worked with many times in the past, which was Baseline. Uh, baseline. Yes, Baseline. <laughs> and the enforcers, you know, they've been so supportive mm -hmm. since day one of like, from Andrina Mill to the Black Lotus. So when it when you know when Baseline hit me up about doing this record, phew, yo, I was just like, let's do this, like you know. And I feel and I for me it was funny because when he first sent me the song, I wrote it like real quick, and then I kind of sat on it like I don't know because the funny thing is for me growing up, soca music was always the one that I felt was not challenging, but like music that I love, but never really dabbled in. I've dabbled in reggae, rock, everything else, but it was always the the one that I always felt like I didn't, or I couldn't touch, mm -hmm. oddly enough. And when he sent this to me, I was like, no, I want to try something. And then when we finally did it, and he sent it back and everything was done, I was like, okay, why did it take me so long? <laughs> why did it take me so long to do this? So, you know, shout out Baseline Indian Force. I'm excited about this one. All right. And what's what's the feedback you've been getting back about the song right now? It's been good. I feel like you said it, but the fact that it is like a, you know, kind of a mixture of, of a few different vibes. And I feel like that's important, especially now, because music is changing all the time and we're always infusing different genres together. And for me, for the first time to kind of dabble in that lane, I, it's good response is better than what I expected. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm glad that, you know, it's in time for Hot Girl Hammer. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, you know, definitely just, you know, hoping people continue to listen to it and share. And yeah, hopefully a visual soon. And um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. When will we see you back in Toronto? Hopefully very soon because my family's there and you know I've been I've been back and forth but this haul I guess you know obviously because of the pandemic and COVID-19 it's been longer and you know it's been more difficult when it comes to all the travel restrictions but when I'm back <laughs> I'm going to be back for a minute I definitely want to you know hang out and see people I haven't seen in a while you know, I miss home. <laughs> Crazy listen Right now, we're at the end of the podcast right now. Is there any big up shout outs? Anybody you want to say right now, leave your handles right now where they could check you out. The floor is yours right now. You can check me out at T-H-E-B-L-K-L-T-S, uh, The Black Lotus on Instagram, Facebook, and then I'm still Andrea Music on Twitter. Uh, SoundCloud's the same. Um, yes, big up Baseline and the Enforcers for definitely, you know, getting together, getting this together and, you know, this number one record together. And I'm really excited about that one as well. I hope you guys continue to stream it and play it. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, anybody who's watching, listening, yeah, check mm -hmm. us out. <laughs> when could we expect a full body of work coming out from you? So the full body of work is Honey, and that comes out in a few weeks. And it's the Black Lotus meets the Killer Bees, and it's my ode to the Wu-Tang Clan. So mm. that's the next project that <laughs> the next project that I'm working on. So the, the first single comes out on September the 8th on a Wu Wednesday, and I'm excited about this one. And then follow-up is The Seed. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear that because I know how creative you are. And I hope a lot of people really could respect your creativity and how far left to how far right you can go and then just come yeah. right in the center. I'm excited about this one. I, I yeah. definitely wanted to tap into, you know, a group that I grew up really listening to, you know, and kind of started my whole rap career in my mind. So, <laughs> yes, 
Shout out to Luke. Shout out to Luke. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, this was a great conversation. Your vibe, your energy, <laughs> your memories, and how you just tell the stories is so amazing also. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and taking some time for me to reflect. Because sometimes these things I forget. Like, it's been, you know, it's been a journey. It's been some time. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Let me give you an outro and get you out of here, all right? <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Muscle, and this has been another Two-Line Music Cuts Entertainment Report podcast, and we are out. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusicut.com.